Welcome to Riverdale. Welcome to Riverdale is a carefree black nerd review show exploring the weekly shenanigans and hijinks of the newly rebooted <laughs> rebooted RG universe. Um episode 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was one hell of a ride. Um I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words, just like last week's episode. Um, this episode was um, titled A Touch of Evil, and boy, is that title appropriate. Uh, let's see, my general impressions, or overall impressions of this episode, I enjoyed it. I felt differently about it than I did the first. Um, I'm thinking the first one, because it was jam-packed with so much stuff, I kind of got an overload, so I enjoyed that one a little bit more. This episode, however, was more of a slow burn. Um, yeah, I uh, we had new characters introduced. Uh, Mr. Weatherby, the principal, who is a black man. So, you know, they're sticking with that inclusion. And it really isn't even inclusion. It's just what makes sense. There's, um, especially if this is a town in New York, yeah, it might be a little small town, but there's more than likely going to be some blacks and some whites and some Mexicans and you know I don't know there's going to be some mixing there so I um I was always excited to see Mr. Weatherby uh favorite character favorite scene who killed Jason Blossom the three things that are still on the list today um let's see well, start off with Jughead, who is now, I'm assuming, the official narrator of the series, or at the very least this season. Um, yeah, gave us a little flashbacks with Jason, uh, Jason and Cheryl sharing this strawberry shake, which I'm not a twin, and I'm sure there are things out there that twins do or that siblings who are close in age do that it's common, common knowledge for them. Me not being a twin, I don't know any of those things. But Cheryl and Jason come off as extremely creepy every time we see them together. Even when they're separate, Jason mostly, maybe because he's dead already and we only see him in flashbacks, but he comes off very creepy as well. Um, let's see, there. Uh, we start off with Archie tossing and turning in his bed while Jughead is narrating. And... <laughs> This was so strange to me. We see him, um, like, pretty much nude. He has on some boxer briefs that are oddly flesh-colored. And so when I saw the scene and he's sweating, I see, I like, that comes across well, that he's not having a good night, a rough, that he's having a rough night. But when he stands up, because he's um, texting Betty, trying to talk to her, so we know he has a lot on his mind. But these flesh-colored underwear really took me out of this thing, because it was like, one, for him to have to be in his underwear to begin with is kind of ridiculous. I mean, I know guys and girls sleep in their underwear, but for this show, I don't know. I guess we saw Betty in her bra last episode, so this would be fair, but I still thought it was odd. Um, he uh, He's texting her. She's having none of that because she's still reeling from that horrible ass you're too good for me that he uh gave her last episode and i'm right there with her solidarity with betty 
uh, screw you, Archie, you uh, dummy. <laughs> um, but no, he's he's trying to talk to her because he clearly has a lot on his mind. She declines. So this fool, I guess the most logical thing to do is to get your 16-year-old ass up out the bed um, in your flesh-colored drawers, throw on some shorts, and run out the house. So <laughs> this man is running down the block, still sweaty. And I don't know if this sweat is like from the night sweat he's having or is this is from him, I don't know, working out hard or whatever. Either way, he shows up at Grundy's house beating on her door. And... um I actually just got through Shameless, I think it's episode, season six, and uh, this very much puts me in the mind of um, Lip and Helena, who also has that same relationship where it's an instructor and a student, and how the relationship is very intense and it drives Lip crazy, and he's like beating on her door, beating up her kids, like it's, it's the whole thing, but that's what this this particular scene um gave me and for some reason i just don't like grundy initially i thought with the pilot maybe she just came off weird because there was those few scenes and they had to kind of get across what what the deal was but i realized i don't like her i don't know if it's her acting if it's the character herself i know it's not the situation they're in because like i said i just saw this played out on shameless so i'm not new to it but I don't know. He, um, she opens the door for him, and he comes in shirtless, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I gotta tell somebody what happened." She's like, "Oh no, you know, I could lose my job. Um, you could get expelled, and we could go to jail." And that was so strange to me because I'm looking like, "Why would y'all go to jail for coming forth with, I don't know, ev- not evidence, but with what you heard late? Like that's, why that's not a reason to go to jail. Like people hear gunshots." and you tell the I don't know that was that was strange to me and clearly she's I don't know out of it I feel like and I'm not maybe there's something wrong with her I don't want to say she's like mentally has is disabled or anything like that but there's something going on with her where is there a self-esteem thing does she have daddy issues there's something going on with Grundy and I just don't like that character at all um uh, then we go to, um, excuse me, Mr. Andrews and Archie, um, I forget Archie's dad's name, but, um, we, this is the morning, next scene, Archie comes down, and he's, uh, Archie's dad talks about how he heard him sneak out, and (laughs) he made the comment, Archie's like, oh, you heard that? He's like, yeah, I've, um, I've been hearing you sneak out since you were eight going to Jughead's Treehouse. And I'm like, yo, eight-year-old child is sneaking out the house late at night, and you're... <laughs> I mean, there's some assumptions to be made that maybe he followed him there, maybe he knew that's where he was going, or hell, maybe he just let him roam the streets because Riverdale was just that safe back in the day, but mm, eight years later and I'm still sneaking out the house? Why you... <laughs> I don't know. That was strange. I don't know what kind of parenting he had going on, but I don't know. I don't think I could be sneaking out my parents' house at eight... <laughs> eight years old and not get a hawk down <laughs> but um yeah so um he um tells him that he saw him you know sneak out he's been sneaking out since he was eight uh and they kind of discuss jason he's like you know i got a lot on my mind jason's death or whatever and um 
Archie's dad makes the comment that, you know, I want you to stay in the house until we figure out what's going on, which, of course, is understandable. Uh, or not necessarily stay in the house, just don't be out late like that. And he says, uh, uh, you know, damn, this town. And for Riverdale to be this preppy, small-town USA, all-American town, contrasted with the dad making the comment, oh, goddamn, this town, as if things like this may not happen a lot but it's always something i don't know that line in itself kind of gave you a lot of backstory on the town because if he's born and raised there and then he's raised his child there clearly things like this aren't unusual like it might a death and a murder of course that's extreme but the things that lead up to that or just the nature of this close-knit small town there's, there are clearly secrets here and there are things that are bubbling over that I expect are going to come to light before hell maybe before the fifth episode as we still haven't seen Harem um, Veronica's dad and uh, we haven't seen Archie's mom we haven't seen Polly yet like eh, I feel like some shit is going to gonna hit the fans so this might be a slow burn now maybe this first maybe even third and fourth episodes but it seems like they're going to hit the ground running. When they do, it's off to the, to the races, this uh, suburban-ass Game of Thrones <laughs> show that's on. Um, so next we go to Betty's, where Mommy Dearest <laughs> and Dad walk in. And Betty's mom is so... It's clear that she is excited, or maybe not excited. She's pleased that Jason is dead. Um, I think she's a news anchor or a reporter, something. Yeah, she's a reporter, I believe. And so she um, makes the comment that, of course, Jason's death, if it was a drowning, oh, that's nothing. But a shot to the head, that's going to be on the national stage. And I took that a few different ways. One, of course, she's pleased with his death, but perhaps it's getting notoriety because it seems like she's really wrapped up in money even though there are wealthy people in that town and there are some not so wealthy people in that town it's apparent that money and status are important to her even if she doesn't have what she thinks because it seems like her issue with the Blossoms family is that they are wealthy now of course there's more to it I'm sure but it seems like that's the main driving thing that has her upset is that is their wealth and maybe the privilege that they get from that wealth but maybe she wants to get on that national stage and be this i don't know uh figurehead to this this mystery um i also looked at it as her just being happy that he's gone and now because they tell betty we're gonna have a lot of long nights you know there won't be a whole lot of um parents in the house and i don't know what betty's dad does i have to look that up but i know the mom is a reporter or some something adjacent but um and also i was thinking maybe she's pleased because hell she killed them and so this um murder mystery that's going to go on on this national stage if she knows she's the killer and she covered her tracks this is kind of an endless loop where the story will keep circulating and they won't find the killer and so that'll get more press so i don't know i'm still i'm still on mommy dear's side she's odd as hell but i'm all for it um and <laughs> I um I want to see how her story plays out because it seems like how the father is kind of a pushover and or at the very least he, yeah he's kind of 
because he made the comment like you know recognizing how excited she was he was like man he ain't even in the ground yet full and she's like okay boy go get the car i gotta talk to our daughter about this dead boy so <laughs> but she um she sits down with benny and she's like um something something like you see how uh these people treated you archie and cheryl and veronica and you know don't back down i don't want you around them such and such and she did it in this like sweet motherly way but she was clearly manipulating like trying to manipulate betty and uh it's i i can see through her character why she wouldn't like the blossoms and why she even wouldn't like veronica but this idea that she doesn't like Archie, and it's more than likely because Archie, you know, kissed Veronica, but this idea that she doesn't like Archie, and I'm like, he's lived next door to you since y'all were four. What, what issue do you have with the neighbor's kid and your daughter when you've been such a close, I don't know, maybe in this, this rendition of the universe, they aren't close. Maybe it's just Betty and Archie who are close, but I don't know, that just seemed pretty odd. Uh, Betty agrees, like, no, nah, I ain't fucking with them, mama, it's me and you, ride or die, they do that little bro man handshake that you might see in, you know, BET movies, <laughs> no, they don't do that, but, um, she shows up at, um, at Archie's front door immediately after, and it's like, look, walk me to school, we gotta get past this shit, I clearly am in love with you, you don't feel the same way, but I do want us to remain friends, blah, whatever, and it's a lot of walking in this town, like, for this town to be so big, or as big as it is, people do a lot of walking here um but then next scene we uh have this shrine at jason's locker with all these teddy bears and pictures and flowers and uh <laughs> jughead walks up and uh asks archie you think i could use his death as the um excuse to get out of pe which is so funny like jughead was in this episode more a lot more than the first one um not counting his narration and he's so funny he's so emo he's so dry he's so sarcastic like he is he's very different from the way he's written in the comics and i appreciate that and um i think that um cole sprouse is doing a really good job because i um grew up watching things like big daddy and sweet life of zach and cody and whatever other like disney shows him and his twin brother did and i think a real good testament to a lot of actors is when they can play a role and you don't see them in that role like i see jughead and i think jughead he to me he embodies this um representation of um this version of jughead i don't see cole sprouse although he's somebody who i've seen for years growing up i've seen him on tv so i think he, that that proves that he did a really good job um <laughs> but as he's leaving again with these little weird ass quotes that they have these kids uh saying this odd dialogue he bumps into reggie uh and <laughs> reggie says watch it wednesday adams and it's just like man <laughs> how <laughs> i don't know it's it's odd i love it i love it and in this scene reggie i think it's reggie moose and then another football player and reggie is wearing the practice uniform and I'm going to go on record saying now, anybody listening to this who can hook me up with a um, Riverdale practice football jersey, I want it. Because, hell, that looked nice. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I really like that jersey. <laughs> so, um, 
Kevin and Betty show up. They walk into an office. He uh, talking about, well, you know, if Archie, you sure he ain't down for you? Well, girl, is he not gay, maybe? Because ain't no straight man got nobody like that. And I'm, I'm here for inclusion. I'm here for this race bent stuff. I'm here for pretty much every aspect of this show. But this was so on the nose. Like, what? No straight man has a body like that? You all, everyone in this show has the same body. Uh, Moose and Archie are about the same size. I think Reggie is too. Cole Sprouse is probably the small, Jughead is probably the smallest guy on the show. Kevin Keller himself has a body very similar to Archie, so, and I get it, it's part of the show, and it's just a little, like, sly remark, but I was like, what? <laughs> no straight man has a body like that. Every man on this show has this body. So, <laughs> I thought that was crazy. Um, they show up in the office, and this, this, when you watch this episode, or if you watch this, go back and look at it. This, this woman had one line. Um, Kevin Keller and Betty Cooper walk into the, uh, I don't know, the office, the main office, and there's a bouquet of yellow roses, uh, or carnations, I don't know, sitting on the, the, the shelf, and I guess this is the secretary, um, her name is Miss Phillips, so Kevin comes in and he says, uh, Miss Phillips, um, are these for Betty? <laughs> she pulls her phone out and says, uh, uh, that's why I called her, and I don't know if, they instructed her to read that line like that but it was very snarky it was very <laughs> it was so quick but you listen to this if you ain't seen the show this might not be that funny to you but you need to go back and watch that one that one line she's like nigga i'm doing work what the f- this this is why i called her what the hell like <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, so Veronica shows up with her apology cupcakes and her apology flowers and her apology uh, Persifer 2 salon visit and hair blowouts and manicure. Like, uh, like she's laying it on thick. And I appreciated this um, interaction because I don't... Let me see. Betty quickly forgives her. But I feel like it felt very genuine. It wasn't... <laughs> How do I say this? It seems as if they're setting Cheryl up to be the big bad, bad girl. And that's the role that Veronica usually had in the comics. Well, now it seems as if Betty and Veronica have switched roles somehow. Because even though Veronica's still the, the rich girl, new in town, she comes off as very sweet and humble. So she tells these stories often about being the mean rich bitch back in New York and her and her little socialite friends or whatever but she comes off as nothing but genuine and nice here and I can forgive that if it doesn't seem to make sense like the dialogue with the way she is portrayed based off of her um the first episode where she explained that she used to be really mean she used to be very evil and hateful and she made a vow to herself that if when she came to Riverdale she would be more you know nice kind she would be a better version of herself so even though it doesn't connect with me that she was this evil bitchy girl I still can suspend all belief and take that as fact based off of that explanation now her being mean and bitchy since she showed up to Riverdale I don't see that like her uh, and it, oh and this is a correction um last episode I said that that her and Archie didn't kiss when they actually did kiss in the closet 
but um even with that it felt like being swept up in the moment it's not to say it's right but well, oh, I don't be that guy but she has loyalty to Betty but at the same time Betty and Archie weren't together and at the same time still she kind of tried to take that L for her friend and it's I don't know I don't know that's that's where the whole gray area comes in but I feel like Veronica did a really good job at putting forth effort to show that she was um, apologetic and it wasn't like this I'm wealthy I'm going to throw this in your face and because I have money you should forgive me it really felt like I have money so I'm able to do more to apologize than if I didn't because I mean what would be a regular apology for a high school girl maybe buy a friend a card or maybe buy her a cupcake but this how going to the spa and getting cupcakes flown in from New York and you know like all that extra stuff it didn't seem like she was throwing her wealth around it seemed as if she was really and truly sad or sorry for what she'd done and once Betty forgave her she was like excited and Kevin little punk ass talking about <laughs> calling her mama Satan or Madam Satan and <laughs> visibly being upset that Betty has uh, forgiven her I thought that was a nice touch too because it wasn't just oh I'm this happy best friend I'm gonna do you know whatever my friend says like he 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 wasn't holding back either like motherfucker you hurt my friend you don't deserve this forgiveness so that was pretty good um and Betty's explanation was I didn't know Veronica last week we can speak this week she'll nod at me next week and the following week she won't even know my name which is so odd cause I'm like this small ass town y'all gonna run into each other at the laundromat at Pop's Chocolate Shop at 5th period at the pep rally you both on the cheerleading team so I don't know. That was that was odd. But uh after that excuse me. Um Ooh, where I left off. Oh, okay. Um after that there is no um Oh she this is there's no right um there's no wrong that the right cupcake can't fix. And I've never heard that. I don't know if that's a saying or not, but I'm all for it too. Uh, cupcakes make everything better, goddammit. <laughs> um, so Weatherby, the principal, um, is on the PA. Him, uh, Sheriff Keller, and uh, Cheryl Blossom are all in the principal's office speaking on the PA. Oh, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, Betty asks Kevin about, you know, him being traumatized from him and Moose uh, seeing. Kevin's body or finding Kevin's body in the water well he's like no nah, I was more traumatized than having explained to my dad why I was at the lake at night half dressed with moose and so I thought that was a nice little touch too because again it's not Kevin is gay and that's clear and moose is bisexual or pansexual I don't know he is not identified as one sexuality yet but it's so casual and cavalier that they're throwing this around in here it doesn't feel like that's the focus of the character but it made sense with the uh with the tone of the show and with the situation at hand even if kevin was straight and he was with a girl at the um at the lake at night i feel like the conversation would have went the same way like oh i had to explain to my dad why i was with judy half naked at the lake because shit y'all are teenagers 15 16 years old 
at a lake in the middle of the night. Regardless of who you have sex with, you having sex at night, your ass should be in the bed, but you sneaking out <laughs> to do runs at night to go have sex by the lake. Like, these kids are fucking out of control. Um, but, yeah, so they're on the PA, and they're talking about, well, you know, with the death that's going on, we're still going to have the pep rally. If you know anything, speak up, blah, whatever. Cheryl has this look plastered on her face and this is why I can't really read how I feel about her in relation to this murder slash death whatever is because I don't know if she's being strong outwardly to keep up appearances or if she's just like kind of psychopathic like I, I can't read what she has going on and that's um I mean, I guess that's good because now I'm intrigued and I want to know more. I'm going to watch more. But I don't know if it's because the actress is doing such an amazing job. I said that wrong. The actress is doing such an amazing job that I don't know if she is just half crazy or if she's just trying to keep up appearances. And then she's the mean girl. And stereotypically in teen movies and shows, the mean girl can't show weakness. So it's like, let me be the strong mean girl and keep up face. But she um she mentions that she thinks that we all know who the killer is and you know hashtag Riverdale strong which is she's just full of these quippy little millennial or new age things that I I, I think are funny because like in this show I don't I don't believe anyone curses in this show and it's a new age reboot of the old Archie comics and they keep a lot of the language like they say pal. I want to say I heard someone say geez like those old school um, terms and words that are used and then you have Cheryl and you have to kind of keep up with the times and she's talking about follow me on Twitter it's Cheryl bombshell and you know talking about uh, the lesbian kiss and then the hashtag like these are little things that are really of no consequence but they kind of flesh out her character to me and this world in in itself and I feel like they did a really good job at marrying the newness that is 2016, 17, 18 uh, lingo, technology social media, things like that with the old school um, Archie aesthetic both visually and like through uh, dialogue so um, that's one thing, one reason I really like this show and I believe the creator of Glee is a writer, Lord, I am prepared, <laughs> is uh, somehow tied to this show. And I was like, that makes perfect sense because I was a big Glee fan. I mean, I fell off like two or three seasons before it ended or one or two seasons before it ended. But I'm still a big Glee fan. I could sit up and watch a marathon, you know, if it came on. But it's it has that similar style and that cadence with conversation where it's that snappy witty back and forth banter but it's slow enough for you to take in all the information but it's fast enough to know people don't goddamn talk like this <laughs> this is not so especially teenagers they don't talk like this um but while they're in the office and you see uh black mr weatherby and um archie walks past the door and peers in and uh, Mr. Weatherby, this is so strange. He looks up and he notices Archie and he kind of gives him this look and Archie walks off. And it's like this melodramatic, like they're doing a lot of acting with your body language. And it's just like so over the top as if you've never, as a principal with a window in your fr- in your door, never seen a student walk by and look into your office. It's so strange. <laughs> it was so 
it was so weird um but uh after that it's like he's um it's clear that he suspects something Weatherby does um but it's not clear like what it is um later on when Betty Jughead and Veronica meet up for lunch and they walk outside towards uh, Archie's table um Oh, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead. Go back to science class where everyone is um, pairing up to, I don't know, discuss whatever. Archie pairs up with Cheryl. Uh, Veronica and Betty pair up. And then Moose comes and gets Kevin. And so they have their little talk. Well, Archie, I think this guilty conscience of not reporting the gunshot has him trying to fill out Cheryl for information. And, uh, oh my God, what did she say? Um... Because before this, these girls are questioning Cheryl, and it's kind—they of, do it in a way where it's kind of like what we, as the audience, would ask. Where these two random girls are like, "Well, Cheryl, you said that your brother drowned over the summer, but now it comes out that he's been shot." And that's like what you would be thinking at the end of the last episode. It's, it's something about you, dirty mannequins. You think I'm lying, and like goes in on them. Um. Uh, then that's when they do the pairing up and everything and Kevin Kevin and Moose I'm I'm very confused and I watched this episode like three or four times so if someone can clear this up for me please email me tweet me or whatever but they sat down Moose chooses Kevin as his science partner sits down with him and um he says you know so what you know about saturday night and it was a very kind of flirtatious like you know hey what's up and i don't know if he was talking about like oh what we almost did last this past weekend or us getting together again this upcoming weekend i don't know that and i don't think that's really important either way but kevin says something about um i don't know something something and i think you should just stick to girls and later on, Veronica asks him about, you know, what's going on with Moose. And this whole situation for me was read as Moose is maybe not closeted, but he's very private. I don't know, with being gay or whatever. And so the very fact that he's like pulling Kevin to the side and talking with him and you know, kind of setting up dates, be it like to hook up or to, I don't know, whatever it is that they're doing, it seems like he's pretty open, so for Kevin to make the comment like, oh, sometimes I wish he would just stay in the closet, and you know, he has a girlfriend, Midge, and I'm like, that comes out of the blue, out of nowhere, because nowhere in this first episode do they mention Midge, who in the comics is Moose's girlfriend, um, so for me watching the first episode, I thought, okay, maybe he's a closeted gay guy you know then they found Jason's body and then I'm watching the second episode and he's kind of outwardly not affectionate but he's like interacting with Kevin no nowhere in between the beginning of the first episode and these scenes here is there mention of a girlfriend or is there any indication to me or that I saw that Moose was into women and not into it was it's so odd and i only bring this up because 
Kevin makes that comment, oh, I wish he would just stick with girls and be in the closet and this and that, and he's my type, but he's like, what? I don't understand what Moose has done wrong. That's I, that, man, Okay, maybe that's what my issue is. Out of everything that's happened, I feel like Moose has given attention to their whatever situation and is trying to communicate with Kevin, but I, there never once was a, okay, shh, don't tell nobody that we hooked up, or shh, don't tell nobody that I'm gay, or act like you don't know me. It wasn't any outward like. So that's why Kevin comes off to me as an asshole, because Moose has never said or done anything that would indicate he was ashamed of you. I don't know. That that was strange. But um, then we move on to... Um, <laughs> RG and Cheryl and he's talking about you know I'm sorry about you know whatever your brother being killed and I wish it was something I could do and she says <clears throat> unless you were at Sweetwater River and you know who killed Jason then there's nothing okay so you know he clearly starts having flashbacks because apparently this show is Riverdale and the Archie flashbacks <laughs> to the first episode um but this fool he says um ask Cheryl do you know if the police have any leads <laughs> and Cheryl at she says, what? No, you ghoul. <laughs> but my twin tuition is telling us it's somebody I know. And that scene is making me love Cheryl even more because she is this mean alpha dog, mean girl analog. But she has these quiet moments where she is kind of vulnerable. But if she switches it on the dime, like, to call him a, a ghoul, like, one, I guess that's a, a stand-in for a cuss word, like, no, you dumbass, like, it's, but, it, she made the switch so quick that while watching it, I'm expecting her to be like, no, you know, the police don't know anything, or they haven't told us, but she just, I don't know, she's funny, so, while the girls who are questioning her and if she killed her brother or not, I look and she pulls out this scalpel and stabs the frog in the heart and like kind of rips it open without even looking and it's I don't know if that's supposed to drive home that she's some kind of sociopath that's not how it read to me it read that shit she's just fed up and she's tired she's already very odd her and her brother both maybe her whole family I don't know because we've only physically seen them in one scene we haven't seen them acting so um maybe it's just the twins are odd but this actress is doing a really good job at, at at making Cheryl not just this one-dimensional mean bitch girl. She's very, her acting choices with the way she's speaking, the way she delivers her lines, certain things she does with her body, the way she like moves her hair. Like she, our, Cheryl is probably, is she my favorite? No, maybe Cheryl is one of my, is my top three Cheryl, Veronica, and Jughead are probably my top three favorites in this series. And, uh, I don't know. I just like how... Because she's so much... She's not the soft, prissy girl. She's not the hard, rough girl. She's not... She seems to fit in a lot of different categories. And she moves effortlessly, but sometimes a little bit too much. I just... I enjoy seeing her... Uh, seeing her on screen. Um, so after Science Glass... Mommy Dearest is walking into the coroner's office who he's a older white guy but he kind of gives me that um mortuary guy on Tales from the Hood that uh black guy who um who was Candyman I believe he's that creepy dark um 
kind of morbid type of ghoulish character and um mommy dearest comes in and he's talking about how uh the body is very interesting because you know parasites was feeding on it and this that and the third all this little science he talk about you know decomposing bodies and stuff and she hands him this envelope with money she's like oh you wanted in small bills and i can't tell if mommy dearest is covering her tracks and paying off the um coroner or if she is paying to get an exclusive like to see up front what happens first or like i don't know what her motivation is and i don't understand that scene i see it for what it is that she's paying him to see the body but i don't know the reasoning behind it and that's what i'm saying no matter what you think about mommy dearest she is They've done a really good job with the adults on this show because between her and Hermione and even kind of Archie's dad, I'm a little more interested in him when he's with Archie, but Hermione and Mommy Dearest, those two adults, I really want to see how their stories play out. But now more than ever, I'm more interested in Mommy Dearest because she's, I mean, you talk about Cheryl and Veronica having money and rich girls like that ain't shit and this, that, and the third, but clearly you got money to just pay off a coroner you know to to see a dead body like that doesn't indicate wealth of course but you got this money laying around for this so are you wealthy for the things you want but not for the things your daughter wants i thought that was that was interesting that was a really quick scene um then we get to the the scene where she uh veronica asks about moose and about whatever well we um We sit down, uh, 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 Kevin, Betty, and Veronica sit down with uh, Archie, who's playing a guitar, and um, Archie says that uh, he, what am I, oh, okay, Veronica tells him, okay, why don't you sing a song for the very forgiving audience, kind of letting him know that Betty and her have made up, and he starts singing this acoustic song, and it was... I didn't like it. <laughs> it was a good song. It sounded good. I just yeah, it was it wasn't for me. But it sounded like one of those like Jason Mraz or um like early two thousand kind of acoustic boy band type songs. Um I didn't like it. But uh during the song Betty is having these flashbacks to the dance and to the night before where he shut her down and um she becomes visibly upset and I don't know, I might have to say Betty is in my top three because that actress is doing a kick-ass job at getting Betty's emotions across and letting everything be believable where she, the breakdown she has is pretty quick but it looks very genuine and so um, there is, once he's done, you know, he's asking her, um, are you... um, are you okay? She's like, no. And then she walks away. She's like, you know, I thought I could handle this, but I can't. She did yeah, This seemed kind of shady to me. <laughs> but she was like, you know how last night you couldn't give me the answer I wanted? Well, I can't give you the answer you want. But she delivered it very kindly, and it was in line with the with the, the scene itself. But when I looked back on it, I was like, mm, I don't think you needed to say that. That was, that was kind of a low dig. Like, uh... You know, you couldn't do this for me. Well, I can't do this for you. That's kind of how he came off. But as he's as she's walking away, mind you, when she ran away, this fool 
puts down his guitar but picks up his jacket, his uh letterman's jacket to chase after her. And I'm thinking like, where are you going? Like, on the off chance that someone steals something, you think they're gonna steal your jacket over your guitar? Um, on the off chance that y'all are gonna be chasing after her for a while, how far do you think you're gonna go that you're gonna need a jacket? And then on the off chance that I don't know, y'all end up indoors. What I just didn't understand the point of him putting on his jacket. I mean, visually, I guess, to keep him consistent and wearing that jacket. But that seemed like an odd thing to do when you're chasing after your best friend who's upset is to put on your Leatherman, put on your Letterman's jacket or varsity jacket and chase after her. <laughs> but then here comes another old sourpuss, Mr. Uh, Weatherby, with his ugh, annoying ass. He's pulls Archie to the side and he's like, well, you know, let me talk to you for a minute. Um, you know, when I, you met my gaze earlier at the office and, um, you, what'd he say? You, um, I don't know. Is there something you need to, no, he's like, oh, you're doing good. AP English or whatever, doing good in music and varsity and this, that, and the third. Um, mind you, I'll remind you right here. Archie is wearing his, was on JV and because Jason died and they need another football player, he is now on varsity, and he's wearing Jason's number. I think it's number nine or number ten. I think I think it's number nine. And um, he didn't want to at first, but then he accepted. So um, Mr. Weatherby is like, if there's something you need to tell me, you know, about Jason or about that night. And I'm thinking, like, unless Weatherby punk ass was at the damn sweet sweet water lake river whatever on the 4th of july watching archie and miss grundy get it on why in the hell is it the first place your mind goes because it to me it's like everyone would be you you would assume that in a small town like this everyone is thinking about jason's murder so because i happen to be the one to walk past your door you think i had something to do with it unless you were there and you saw me there which now begs the question hell did weatherby kill uh kill Jason you know when you see him that all the whole first episode maybe he was out you know cleaning his gun or something <laughs> now I thought that was really strange because how do you get from you're looking into my office door to do you know something about Jason's murder that's like a large that's a that's a pretty big jump and I'd like to see how he came to that conclusion because I don't know that's just strange but um so Archie runs into Grundy's office or room where she's still, you know, four scenes later, still playing this gigantic ass um, instrument like the, I don't know what it's called, but the big violin looking thing. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, Grundy asked me about um, Jason and said he'd protect me. She's like, oh, no, of course, you're his student, blah, blah, whatever. And um, this, I already have an issue with Archie and Grundy even being in this relationship but he says what is he says um is your feelings about me real because if not i don't know what i'm protecting you know by not telling what they heard that day uh the fourth of july and i'm like is this some type of blackmail where if you don't love me how i want you to love me then i'm going to the police about this um this uh, gunshot that we heard and you're ultimately going to get in trouble now I don't condone their relationship I'm not excited about it but it seemed like nigga what are you what are you doing like 
it seems like you're doing to her what Betty was doing to you. Well, she couldn't do that because she has nothing on you like that. But the way in which he was handling Miss Grundy seemed like the very same way that Betty had feelings with him. But you, I don't know, it just seemed, that seemed very creepy. Like, you, like you're kind of bullying her into something, which I don't have sympathy for her, but it just seemed very weird. But then her, with her vindictive, manipulative ass, she, um, grabs his hands and talk about, you know, my future is in your hands and my feelings are real. And I think this is contributing to my feelings about Grundy because I can't tell, I don't think she really has feelings for him. It, it comes off as, of course she's trying to cover her ass, which, I mean, I get that. You don't want to lose your job and all this other shit. But it seems as if she's only really into it when she's trying to tell him not to go to the police about the murder. And, um, so, and the, that he can't see that is maybe plays to the fact that he's a teenage boy and he's head over heels in love with her and all this other shit, but I don't know, it just, it comes off very, I don't know, very weird. I just don't like Grundy, and, um, lo and behold, our favorite character of this episode walks past Jughead and he sees this little sexual embrace that they're in which is odd that they're like right in front not directly in front of but they're in eyesight of the window on the door and you know this high school has those little skinny rectangular windows they could have easily just kind of stepped off to the side <laughs> but uh Jughead found out and uh you know he's not happy uh we get the the um the cheerleading scene where Betty and Veronica made up they're doing this whole bring it on style pom-pom dance group thing it's not it looks horrible and uh cheryl knows it looks horrible and she says um i'm gonna call in the pussycats and when she said that i know josie and the pussycats exist in this universe and they're on this show but my mind went directly to the pussycat dolls the pop group (laughs) with um nicole schnitzniger as the lead singer or whatever so even though for the next few scenes they were discussing the pussycat dolls that's where my head went and it wasn't until I saw them on screen again because they're not featured heavily in this episode at all it's like one scene in the beginning when Weatherby is on the PA and then at the end during the pep rally so um shit egg on my face for (laughs) thinking about the pop group and not Josie and the Pussycats but um then there's this whole back and forth with Betty and Veronica where they blow up about the um the seven minutes in heaven um about archie and betty friendship not being the same and veronica's like you know it's not my fault he doesn't like you and uh, <laughs> that what and then even that didn't come off mean it came off because then she followed up with it's not my it's not his fault he doesn't like you it's no one's fault it just happens people it happens you know you don't the people we like normally don't like us she was like that Romeo and Juliet shit that is an exception it's not the rule and I thought Veronica did a good job delivering her lines in this scene and getting across her desperation at trying to apologize make up for what she did and just be a good friend to Betty and but I can't say that Betty should have automatically forgiven her but at the same time when you've accepted her apology what more do you want from her how much hell are you going to put this woman through after she's apologized she's made the effort to make peace she's showing you that she's 
sorry that she um, wants y'all to be better and yet you're giving her these snide comments because they said something about Cheryl I don't know being oh um, Veronica said well you know a lot of people mourn differently but you know Cheryl's throwing a pep rally to mourn that's kind of you know weird and Betty says that well at least she's not um, if she's everybody knows what she is she's not um, trying to act like a butterfly but she's a wop something some slight dig she had and she's like girl what the hell is your problem you've forgiven me like what more do you want and um, I also like the line that she gave when Veronica was like well you know if you're not going to be my friend that's fine but like what are you mad at Archie for as well and that seemed kind of odd but the more she talked the more I understood it's like okay don't be my friend I'm new here whatever but then also why are you not Archie's friend when it's not his fault he doesn't like you? Like, y'all have had, um, like, 15 years worth of friendship, and you're going to throw that away based off of me if I'm so insignificant. Like, it just, this whole scene, it was good. It wasn't my favorite. It was good. But I am, um, which makes Veronica probably my number one out of my top three. <laughs> <laughs> As you see, I'm so indecisive here. I don't know who I'm a fan of the most. But um, then Betty invites Cheryl to do the Manny Petty shit that Veronica got for her with them. And, you know, Veronica's upset about it. And, yeah, whatever. So Betty um, invites Cheryl and her little fake ass. She's like, oh, you know, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I love getting me a pedicure. I never turn that down. Uh, and all that. Um,. And uh, then we go to the scene with um, Hermione working at Pop's Chocolate Shop. And that right there for me, it was like watching everything I watched in the first episode with her going to, with them showing up in Riverdale at night um, in the condo, which was the one piece of property that they own in her name and not in um, Harem's name. And then them kind of having these humble beginnings of Veronica having to learn the city and make friends. And then Hermione trying to get a job with Archie's dad and being turned down. And then showing up one night um, and having to console her daughter. And then the following scene where she has this big ass bag of money shows up at her house. Well, she could have easily just lived off that money and be like, you know, whatever, I'm... I'm wealthy and I have this extra money I don't have to do things that you know people who aren't wealthy do but she went and got a job at Pop's Chocolate Shop that spoke volumes about her to me I felt like she's I guess because she's from Riverdale she wasn't I don't think she was born into money I don't know it doesn't matter she's very much um like um that down home girl and she gives that that part away so for all the stuff that um mommy dearest has been saying about cheryl and veronica and their family it seems like it's the inverse that betty's mom is the one that's the high and mighty crazy wealthy woman and everybody else is just shit trying to live their lives so i i thought that was that was pretty cool um but then archie shows up to get the food for him and his dad and he's uh, Veronica's like, oh, I'm going to go home. It's just like, oh, why don't you have Archie walk you home? Which, again, it's so much fucking walking in this town. And I'm thinking, where is Pop's Chocolate Shop in relation to the downtown condo that y'all live in? And do you even have to walk? Like, I want to see a map of Riverdale because I can't, especially I can't place 
where the school is, where the houses are, where the condo downtown is, where the chocolate shop is. I can't. I need a map. Somebody out there, give me a map of Riverdale. <laughs> um, but Jughead is on the on the steps, and he's like, "Look, man, I saw you and that old ass lady kissing. You know, you need to." You need to change some shit. I'm here. I'm trying to be your friend. I don't know what the fuck you thought you had going on, but this ain't cool at all. And so, um, Archie's like, you know, um, he, he confesses that they had been together since the summer and about the gunshot. And, uh, he's like, oh, you got to tell somebody. This is what Jughead is saying. And Archie's like, oh, we can't. We're going to get Miss Grundy in trouble. He's like, nigga, a kid is dead. This man is dead. And you worried about this cougar. And I just like, oh, uh, don't call her that. And this thing's like, all right, brother. Well, you know, you ain't the, the motherfucker I thought I knew. You ain't who you used to be. And um, Archie threatened Jughead. He started to walk away. He was like, you know, you bet not tell anybody. And he's like, nigga, what? He said, what you gonna do? And then, <laughs> I really like this scene. And this solidified for me that I am going to be a Jughead fan all the way through this this season and hopefully the next however many they have because he um is like that moral compass even though he's the the outcast kind of standoffish i don't know creepy type of guy he's writing a novel you could tell he's not like everyone else here he's probably that one kid that's gonna go away to canada or new york well I don't know, maybe California or Florida or something, and never look back. He's that artistic, tortured soul to everybody else's extremely preppy, I don't know, Ivy League gossip girl personas. Um, But yeah, so we get back to... uh, (laughs) We get to Betty's house, and this is my favorite scene out of this episode where Cheryl and Betty are having this like a lesbian adjacent scene really intimate where Betty has let her hair down she's no longer wearing her ponytail um Cheryl her hair down is her hair is down as down as well she uh, comes and straddles Betty's lap and she's like putting makeup on her and she um, apologizes for being a bitch to her and talking about Polly and Jason's relationship. She's like, you know, in a way, we kind of both lost siblings and this and that. And then she kind of goes in on this, like, she this rapid fire of shooting Betty these questions about um, Polly and about her, Polly and Jason's relationship and what her parents think about it. And then for a second, Betty's like, well, you know, um, my parents don't really talk about it much. And then she's like, well, why are you asking all these questions about Polly? And Cheryl stands up and says, because you dumb cow, <laughs> someone shot my brother. And I think it was your crazy, like, meth head sister or something like that. And this is why this is my favorite scene. Like, the music changed. Cheryl turned to the uh, mirror with her back to Betty. And she's, like, putting makeup on her face. Betty slowly stands up with that music changing I'm thinking she might have a knife in her hand or a gun or a crowbar and she says get out of my house and then Cheryl turns and she's like oh, I don't know she said something she said get him out of my house before I kill you and that is a huge leap from something like get out of here or I'll whoop your ass or get out of here or I'll beat you up or I'll call the police like she went straight for get out of my house before I end your life and that 
was of course brung on because hell you're talking about her sister who's in a, a mental institution that's not cool Betty loves her sister but the very fact that she was able to get to that dark place so quickly when before we saw that she's been able to kind of hold in her emotions and you know dig into her hands and kind of cut her hands to keep herself calm but to see that beast slowly being unleashed now um i don't think she killed jason like i feel like she probably has the um she could have like she has that in her but i don't think she killed i think that would be too nail on the head for Betty to be the one to have killed Jason but that doesn't negate all this shit she got on like something's gonna happen Betty's gonna snap on somebody and there's gonna be a chair to the head there's gonna be somebody pushed down some steps something is gonna happen before this season is over with cause they're gonna push that girl one time too many and she's gonna end somebody's life or she's gonna severely damage somebody but um Cheryl Cheryl thinks Polly killed Jason, which I thought so as well last week, so I'm still kind of in that camp that did Polly break out and do something? I don't know. But even though I think Betty is now kind of capable of murder, I don't think she did it. Um, the next thing with uh, Betty and Mommy Dearest is in the house. She's like burning sage and talking about the uh, blossoms and their psychotic children and they probably sacrifice, you know, they probably sacrifice Jason to the demons or something to to get their wealth and that for me that was significant because it switched the conversation from just I don't like these rich people and their assholes to acknowledging some occult type supernatural thing that might be going on and with that being said if if that's not just an offhanded comment by mommy dearest then I would love 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 for Sabrina to show up because we know Josie and the Pussycats and Sabrina the Teenage Witch are both in the Archie universe and they cross over often so if Sabrina pop her little blonde haired ass up in this show I'm I'll be excited for that because you know maybe there is something going on that's supernatural I don't see it but since that property does exist and it's tied to the Archie universe it I'm not ruling out any possibilities at this point because, hell, it, we don't know what's going on. Um, Betty and Veronica kind of make up because Betty realizes that her mom is crazy. She tells her, she's like, you know, my mom is crazy. Um, I might never see my sister again. And a boy I like doesn't like me back. You know, I'm dealing with all this shit. But when Betty and her mom is in her room, what makes me think that her mom has something to do with this is that Polly is in a mental institution and I was under the assumption that they kind of saw her off together or they all went up to visit her like you know like like a nursing home like you can go and visit your loved one but Betty asks mom do you think I'll be able to see Polly and her mom switches the conversation she's like you know I'm so proud of you for standing up to that girl and then the scene ends and for me that reads there's something going on with Polly if Betty isn't able to see her very own sister what is it is it that maybe mommy dearest had a relationship with jason behind polly's back and that's part of the reason why polly went crazy because i mean the way she's pushing betty i can only imagine she pushed polly the same way well if you're pushing your daughter to be so excellent and to stay out of i don't know this craziness 
and she's dating this boy who you hate him and his family but then it turns out that you actually sleeping with him or carrying on a relationship with him that would probably break her down you know so maybe there's that and the reason why she doesn't want betty at the nursing home or nursing home at the um at the mental institution i hope i'm saying that right um is because she doesn't want the truth to come out you know maybe polly's just constantly drugged up and her mom admitted her in the dark of the night i don't know maybe it i'm i'm more in the camp now that it's betty's mom mommy dearest who has um had a hand in this but next thing which is very significant this student lounge now this student lounge what high school has a student lounge ain't no high school i ever been to had a student lounge they had a teacher's lounge not a student lounge this student lounge looks like it's on the campus of a college I used to watch Saving the Bell back in the day, and I watched the Saving the Bell, Saving the Bell, Saved by the Bell, when they went to um, college. That's what this looks like. Or when Tia and Tamara from Sister Sister went off to school at uh, University of Michigan. It looks like a college hangout spot. Well, everybody's sitting around. This black boy, there's a black guy in the Archie universe. I forget his name. I think it's Chris. But there has not been a black male on students to show up in this show yet. So maybe that's him, and they're just not identifying him i don't know but i noticed that veronica is sitting on the arm of the chair of this boy talking to him and this probably supposed to be just a little friendly scene of everybody hanging out but i'm like mm, i think veronica finna get her some of that right there and he finna get him some of that right there <laughs> but um no so moose this is his big scene where he is um and i think this is oh this is probably a close second for my for a favorite scene where he's like um you know they're asking me if i kill jason and why would i kill jason when he's the best quarterback we've had you know this year or whatever and that speaks volumes to him because it's like i'm his death is inconsequential i don't care about his death i care about him not being the quarterback why would i kill him yeah i didn't like him but he was the best quarterback we had it's like his disregard for human life is ridiculous and if you don't like this version of reggie i think it's um that's so i'm sorry to hear that because this is a really good interpretation of an asshole he's wealthy and he's rich we know that but his wealth isn't what makes him an asshole and this version of him this version he's just a big asshole who happens to be wealthy um he says uh <laughs> he says i'm mental the magnificent why would i you know why would i kill jason um he says um what what he say oh he questioned why moose was with kevin you know kevin is the son of the sheriff he was like well maybe that are you with him to um to not be seen as not be a suspect something like that but that very interaction goes back to what i said before about kevin and moose and about moose being gay moose has not once in these two episodes act embarrassed of or um disgusted by kevin and kevin being an outwardly gay character he's been in sexual you know situations with him and he's also been a jock hanging out with the rest of the football players well if reggie who's this big meathead jock can so casually mention moose's relationship or interactions with kevin the gay character and it not be an issue and the issue is more that that's the sheriff's son not that he's gay then for me 
Kevin's issue with Moose is null and void. Like, I don't... Again, if someone else sees a connection that I'm not seeing, or they see why this is bad, because if you want to harp on the issue that Moose has a girlfriend, well, Kevin, that didn't bother you before. So, what? like, you're the bad guy in this situation. Like, I don't... I don't know. It's so strange. Um, But then he accuses Jughead, because he's like, you know, this emo tortured soul, you know, did it... Did it what did you do when you killed them? Did you um did you do stuff to Jason's body? <laughs> and uh, Jackie has some smart ass comment that has uh, uh, Reggie leaping over the couch trying to kill him. Archie steps in the way. He's like, "Oh, you motherfuckers, y'all must have did it together. Some little blood pack, some little blood brothers pack, you weirdos, but whatever." And um, I really like this interpretation of Reggie. Hell, if you can't tell, I really like this show. <laughs> I seem to like everything that's going on, but um. I, I really um I thought this was a good scene for Reggie especially for him being such a um having such a limited role in the first episode and I want to see more scenes from him let me get this asshole more and um in the comics he was part of Reggie Reggie of Archie's um band so hell will they kind of incorporate that into this iteration which I doubt the way things are going but give me more of this asshole Reggie this big Asian jock because we don't see a lot of Asian lead characters in TV shows and movies and when we do it's like that whole um 16 candles bullshit where you get this caricature or this nerdy dopey Asian guy when Asian men can be lead men they can be alpha dogs they can be sexy they could be macho they can be all these things just like Asian women don't always have to be fetishized fet- mm fetishized docile exotic women that's not like people don't we don't exist in a vacuum so regardless of how you feel about this Reggie I appreciate it being um an Asian character who's written as well as any other character he's not some bookworm with glasses with with tape on him and who's striving to be an engineer or a doctor some stereotypical he's just a big dumb jock who's rich and Asian men can be that. So I, maybe that's why I like this Reggie so much. Um, I don't know. He has like good hair. <laughs> he has nice hair. He doesn't have this. Like, I don't know. He's, he's, he's something that I don't see that often on TV. So with all the things that may be problematic or things that could be fixed about this show, that's one of the things I feel like they've gotten right. Him, Veronica, um, Pops, even though Pops is, boring but Josie and the Pussycats like these race bent characters who prove that in most properties be it dramas comedies whatever you can switch out characters to different races and sometimes even genders and still get a good story everything is not relying on blonde hair blue eyes and pale skin um but yeah so Archie has a conversation with his dad about doing the right thing um and uh, Archie's dad is just happy to be talking to him again. We get to the pep rally, which I couldn't figure out if this was a pep rally or if this was a game. And, of course, it's a pep rally, but we're on the foot, the track, football field and all that with this gigantic setup um, where on uh, this huge stage that, I, again, this ain't the high school I went to. This is nothing like the high school I went to. Like, they have buku money to uh, spend on so many different things that we weren't even thinking about back then. But um, Archie walks over to Miss Grundy. He's like, look, ho, I'm telling. Like, period. Like, you can go with me or not, 
But if you don't, I'll do my damnedest to keep you out of trouble. But I'm telling. And, uh, you know, she can't really object and not in the way that she did at her house. Because, shit, you in front of all these people. But Archie goes over and he tells Jughead, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, go and tell Mr. Weatherby tomorrow, blah, whatever. And Jughead, um, he smiles and then Archie apologizes, um, which I think, fuck you, nigga, you threatened to beat my ass, as you know, in all intents and purposes. You said, you know, you threatened me and we're friends and, yeah, we can probably make up and be friends later. But, motherfucker, you going to fight me over this cougar? when somebody is dead and you may very well have a key piece to solving this puzzle um but they make up and Jughead says uh, we're not gonna hug in front of this whole town which I think was significant because if you didn't recognize that Riverdale is a very small town now that one line clues you in on this pep rally for the one high school in town everyone cause I don't think he was saying it um he wasn't exaggerating like true enough every single person in town might not be at the pep rally but a good 80 percent of the town is probably at this pep rally right now because this is a small town there's not a whole lot going on this is one of the highlights and in a lot of small towns your football team is kind of the driving force behind you know what keeps everything going and uh i don't know so so again if you are under this impression that riverdale is this huge town with a lot of stuff going on no, this is a tiny town. And for the quarterback, even though it's a blossom, the quarterback of this team being found dead, that's a big deal. You know, everybody showed up at the river, which I don't understand that when they pulled the boy's body out the river, how the whole town was just standing around. But, I mean, I guess it happens. Um, and, stop the presses. We got another black character here, Miss Robin Givens. Robin motherfucking Givens is the mayor of Riverdale. The mayor, who also happens to be Josie's mother, which is odd, but it seems like all of the staff, all of the like fringe characters are black, which I'm out. I can get past that to watch this show because I like it. But the mayor is black. I want to see her. why is she. And another thing, focus on this being a small town, the mayor is at the pep rally. Like, what what time i don't know maybe you all from small towns can write me in and let me know if this is normal or not where i'm from then we had a lot we had maybe five or six different high schools you know 12 different middle schools and probably 100 different elementary schools you didn't have the mayor just showing up at a pep rally but i don't know whatever um josie the pussycats does some song which is the uh archie's sugar sugar song like the remix version which is sounded okay and the cheerleaders did their whole bring it on final number which was lackluster at best and um the important part of this scene is cheryl going on stage which she's done a lot in these last two episodes and um congratulating josie and thanking everyone and then the bulldogs the football team run out and like I said, calling back to before, Archie is wearing Jason's number. And Cheryl sees Archie, but she sees Jason running with the team. And she has like a breakdown and runs off the field all the way to the locker room where um, where um, Betty goes after her. But Veronica gets there first. And she's like trying to cheer her up like, you know, girl, it's okay. I'm here. I got you. You got this. And this is where things get kind of... um 
I don't know if I'm reading too much in there or if I'm really trying to solve this murder on my own. But Cheryl says, um, Jason, he's gone. And then she's like, oh, yeah, girl, he gone. Like, you know, you got to kind of pull it together. And she's like, oh, no, you don't understand. He was supposed to come back. I'm all alone. And so Veronica consoles her. And you can read it as, oh, you know, my brother, he's, he's supposed to come back. I miss him, but whatever. But there's also that second layer to it where it's like he's supposed to come back are you saying y'all did something on that boat ride or you let him go somewhere and he was supposed to come back y'all was supposed to meet up somewhere and he just never made it back so maybe she jumped in the water trying to look for him and that's why she was wet not that they both fell off the boat um and i'm I'm keeping that in the back of my head because clearly that's something they wrote deliberately in that way to come back later so i'm i'm I still don't know who I think killed them yet. I, I, we we gonna see, um, but Betty catches Veronica like kind of consoling her and then invites her for a milkshake because apparently now after Veronica has consoled this evil girl, now she deems her worthy enough to be her friend. I'm just like, girl, I'm not gonna go through this back and forth with you, motherfucker. If you forgive me, you forgive me. If not, then no. But they're friends, so they show up at the um chocolate shop. They make a vow, never let a boy come between them. Archie and Jughead show up and joins them. And then Jughead narrates, um, Yeah, it looked like it was four people in the booth that night, but it was actually three. A blonde girl, a raven-haired girl, and the luckiest boy in the universe. I was like, uh, creep much? Like, what? You're sitting there, too. It's not even you looking on at four friends. You're literally one of the people in the booth. Like, I'm trying... Why did... Why did he not include himself in that little, like, summary? It was so odd. I don't know if that means anything going forward, but it was so weird. Like, are we going to find out at the end that Jughead has been dead this whole time? Like, I don't, I don't, well, no, too many people have spoken. It. Maybe he's like a, a mass hallucination that everyone is having. I, it was just, that was strange. Um, but, um after this Archie goes to confess to Mr. Weatherby but he opens the door and Weatherby walks out with uh, Sheriff Keller walk right past him and um, show up at science class because this whole episode is about science class <laughs> and uh, we scan the room and we see <sighs> the camera falls on Cheryl and she says you're here for me aren't you because of the autopsy and uh they're like oh girl we can do this outside we ain't gotta do this in front of everybody and she stands up she says they'll find out soon enough and veronica like girl what what's going on we're gonna find out that i'm guilty cheryl gets arrested for the murder of uh jason blossom that should be an open and shut case but i do not believe it i'm not gonna stop there mainly because cheryl says um i'm guilty she doesn't say I killed Jason. She says, I'm guilty. So that coupled with the scene in the locker room, also with her, you know, being found on the, uh, by Dilton soaking wet, you know, on the river, leads me to believe that a few different things. Um, it's uncovered that Jason didn't die on the 4th. He died a week later. Um, that he was uh, missing on the 4th, presumed drowned. But he actually was killed a week later and he was shot. Then apparently somebody dumped his body or maybe they shot him on the river and the body just showed up. I think that well, maybe 
Jason and Cheryl went on this boat ride, but they Jason went to see Polly, and Cheryl knew he was um he was supposed to like come back maybe a couple days later, maybe a couple hours later, and um. So I think in the first episode she said something like, "Are you ready, Jason?" or something to that effect. And uh, and then we don't know where this mental institution is. So is it like on the outskirts of town? Like this river is running through the town. So like, did y'all take the boat to the mental place? Um, and maybe he was supposed to come back, but Polly actually killed him. Maybe he went to see Polly and something happened, and you know she shot him or some kind of way. Maybe Mommy Dearest showed up and shot him, and uh, took Polly back to the mental institution. Um, but I think all this would explain that why Cheryl was so adamant about knowing who did it, because I don't think Cheryl did it. I think she feels guilty or she considers herself guilty because she let him go off or knew he was going off to do something like maybe go see Polly and she just feels guilty because in the midst of her allowing or knowing this he can't he ended up dead so I don't I still don't think Cheryl killed Jason I feel like she is feeling guilty about the um things that led up to his death but I don't think she did it so for technical sake she is still my number one because she is guilty but to my actual number one is Mommy Dearest. She's moved up to number one. Polly at a number two. Um, and then maybe Betty at a not so close third. That's like my top three. Um, and then I'm thinking it's probably be somebody who we didn't even suspect. So Mr. Weatherby is my number four. So <laughs> take that. So my number one is Mommy Dearest. My number two is Polly. My number three is uh, Betty. And my number four is Weatherby. Because, uh, yeah, I ain't going to put it past them. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this episode. Yeah, I probably didn't uncover this mystery. If I've uncovered this well enough, then I'm going to uh, give me a job on SVU. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but this uh episode has run kind of long so um favorite character of this episode jughead my favorite scene is the cheryl and the uh betty get out of here before i kill you scene with a very very close second is reggie's i don't know tirade of I don't know, destroying everybody in the student lounge. And who killed Jason Blossom? Number one, Mommy Dearest. Number two, Polly. Number three, Betty. And number four, Mr. Weatherby. So with that being said, this ends episode two of Welcome to Riverdale. I want you all to stay carefree, stay preppy, and stay away from Betty, because she might kill you, and stay away from Reggie if you're poor, because... He ain't got no love for you. <laughs> and meet me back here next week uh, for the next installment of Welcome to Riverdale.